Hello, magic seekers, and welcome to It Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts, Laura and Shannon, and, and welcome, welcome to, to our, our podcast coven. Again. We are. This sounds like a very interesting episode up ahead. It is. It's going to be a little bit of a history lesson, just a forewarning for everyone, but I love history. I'm here for it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so last year, last season, we touched on pointy witches hats very briefly in the Halloween episode we did. Yes. Um, Black cats and pumpkins. You did with that. Uh, you did that one with Tracy. I did do yep. that one with Tracy. Mm-hmm. And it got me really thinking about where all this imagery comes from that's yep. associated with witches. And I also had a lovely listener get in touch asking us to go into the meaning behind the witch's broom, also known as a besom. Yeah. So I thought I'd put together an episode to look at the history and the meaning behind all these things that are perceived as witchy. Yeah, all the stereotypical Mm. I love that. Well, yeah. thanks. Thanks for doing the uh, research and bringing us a history I lesson. It. I love it. <laughs> so I guess first up, let's look into the witch's hat. Did actual witches ever wear them? Well, after, <laughs> what, what do you think? Let me ask you. I'm going to say no. Mm, you are cluey. I don't know why, though. (laughs) Well, after extensive research, my gut feeling was right because I thought no as well. Okay. They did not wear them. Yeah. So you don't have to look very far into history to see that witches were associated with all things vile, sexual and scary. Yeah. And most prominently, the prince of darkness, the devil himself. Yeah. So as it turns out, its probable origin is quite racist, actually, and as a lot of our human history has been. Yeah, true. So the first known group of people to wear big cone-shaped hats were from a lost city in China, uh, mummified remains from the witches of Subeshi, who were sisters accused of practising magic in Turfan between the 4th and 2nd centuries BCE were found buried with pointed hats on their heads. Right. Which is quite fascinating. Yeah. Then a group of commonly accused of consorting with the devil during the Middle Ages were the Jewish people. And this started around the 12th century. It was a common belief that Jewish people possessed magical powers gained from having deals with the devil. They were often accused by the church of murdering Christian children in grisly sacrifices, much the same as witches were accused later on in history. So what does the pointy hat have to do with any of this? Yeah. Before the more well-known yellow star badge that denoted a person was Jewish in the Middle Ages... A type of cap, uh, a cap called a Juden hat or Jewish hat were often worn. While initially Jewish people brought this fashion with them as they immigrated and wore it with pride, they were later on forced to wear these hats to make sure that they were distinguishable from the, the Christian population. Wow. Mm. So the Juden hat has different forms. Some have a skinny peak with a ball on top, but others looked almost exactly like the witch's hats we know of today. Sadly, when Jewish people were depicted in medieval art, 
taking part in satanic rituals. They were often shown wearing these pointy hats. Um, Another common but very disturbing artistic scene is of Jewish people being burned alive, again, once again, wearing these pointed hats. And also the scene is very similar to that which has been depicted of witches in the past. Um, Gosh, I had no idea. I didn't realise how, yeah, how interconnected it was. Yeah, it's really disturbing. Uh Uh, The hats themselves were often seen as demonic. Their Latin name, Pileus Cornutus, or Cornutus, Cornutus, <laughs> once again, butchered that, uh, which translates to horned skull cap, directly links that style of hat to the horned one himself. Uh. That all being said, the pointed hat wasn't really connected to witchcraft until centuries later, and it's likely that the anti-Semitic imagery that persisted through the ages had a very strong influence over this symbolic choice for demonising witches. So during the European witch hunts, The powers that be in Hungary made all those accused of preaching magic wear them as punishment. So in medieval Europe, women who brewed beer at home also had the reputation of being witches. Mm. These alewives were suspected of being herbalists, which in turn associated them with witchcraft. But more importantly, they wore hats very similar to the classic witch hat. In fact, any woman who defied the patriarchy and what was deemed normal for how women should act, think and behave in the 1700s and 1800s were considered to be Satan-worshipping witches. So even with all of these cone-shaped hats throughout history, the style wasn't widely accepted as an essential witch wear until The Wizard of Oz. Uh, The book was published in 1900, followed by the movie that was released in 1939, The fictional character of the Wicked Witch of the West is known to wear a tall pointed hat and soon our culture accepted it as being that all witches wear one. Oh, wow. And not to mention her evil cackle and flying capabilities. Yeah. So, yeah, that is the history behind the witch's hat, which, um, yeah, was – it's very sad really. Yep. Yeah. That those dots were connected. Yeah, and obviously used – to um, paint this picture of yeah. obviously the the Jewish people first and then the witches um, later on in history. Got attributed to it. Mm. I was thinking, um, I don't know if it ever came up in your research, but if there was, um, you know, like the pagan style forest mm-hmm. witchy types that might have wore cloaks as warmth as the fashion would have been Mm. way back when with a a hood or Mm -hmm. that sort of thing, maybe that would have um, evolved. I don't know, but it's more of a stereotype. Mm. Or even, you know, the old, um, I can't stop thinking about the wizard's hat in Harry Potter. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. They're not all bad. No, (laughs) no. It's just amazing how it's come about to just be one of those things that are Mm. attributed to it. Yeah, well, when you think about, you know, fancy dress, dressing up as a witch, yep. what, what do you think of? It's you like need the a pointy hat, hat yep. is probably one of the first things Absolutely. that you would associate. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. All right. What else have we got? Witches wear. Oh, yes. Pointy shoes. Yes. Um, that witches were depicted as wearing as well. Is that a thing? This is a thing. So when you think about long, skinny, pointy shoes, I yes. often think about elves or like court mm. jesters and... Mm-hmm. 
basically those characters are like that trickster energy. Yeah. And from the 14th to the 16th centuries, pointy shoes were actually a very popular fashion trend. (laughs) That is before they became extremely controversial. So the good old church decided to demonise pointy shoes, associating them with sex and sin due to their phallic shape. Oh, really? Dick shoes. (laughs) Penis shoe. (laughs) And due to the fact that it prevented people from getting down on their knees while praying. Oh, okay. Yeah, you think, like, if you look back in, like, artwork from that time, those long pointy shoes, it'd be very hard to... get in, not quite practical. No. Yeah. No. So... And would you believe these pointy shoes even became known as Satan's claws? Oh, my gosh. Of course. Of course. Of course. So obviously from there, witches, who were after all Satan-loving heathens, must yes. wear pointy shoes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Truly, that's simple. That's that simple. So that's, that's pointy shoes in a nutshell. Yep. Yeah. Satan's claws. I love it. Yeah. I kind of want to go get some. <laughs> But that's like clogs as well. They had like a little, they have a little, yeah, a little, little point on them, don't they? Tip mm. at the end there. Yep. Oh my God. So I found that really interesting. So it was just the, just the shape. Just the, the shape, purely the shape. shape. And the fact that it prevented, well, it wouldn't have prevented someone from praying on their knees. It just would have made it a bit more difficult. It would have been really tricky. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very. Oh, okay. So how does a cloak or cape fit in with witchy fashion? Well, historically, as you touched on, yeah. cloaks and capes offered a layer of protection to the wearer uh-huh. and were especially popular during medieval times. Yeah. So as you said, like it's warmth. Simple it, as that. It's like wearing a blanket. Simple design. <laughs> yeah. Like an udi, medieval udi. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, we're going to start stocking clo- cloaks and capes and, yeah. and calling them medieval udis. I Absolutely. Love that. Nice velvet one. <laughs> I want one. I want one with avocados all over it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So in your cloak or cape, things could easily be concealed as well. Yeah. And that's perhaps how they became associated with the witch. So capes also became an essential part of the magical costume in bunny ears. Yeah. After the play Dracula came out in England and he was depicted wearing a dramatic cape. And this ended up tying the cape to vampires, sorcery, and fantasy wear in general. Mm-hmm. So that is the cape. So it's that that cloak of secrets and yeah. hiding things, and and also general warmth and protection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> like real practical. <laughs> One must wear something warm. Yes, honestly. Yeah, I had a little Red Riding Hood book, and it must have been based on. I don't know, maybe it's a gross assumption here, but maybe one of the original ones mm-hmm. because they talked about the um, the actual Red Riding Hood and that it was a beautiful cape made by the grandmother mm-hmm. and Little Red Riding Hood loved collecting flowers and all kinds of herbs and on the inside of her cape mm-hmm. she had little pockets sewn in with, and she had little glass jars and she would go oh, around wow. and... and collect and keep them and store them in her little red riding hood. Well, little red riding hood sounds like a little witch. I, I love know. that. I love that. Yeah. Isn't it cool? It is. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the fairy tales, that could yeah. be something else we can yeah. research, um, were very different. Like the original stories were so different from the watered down Disney yep. versions, that's for sure. Disney version. Mm. 
love-hate relationship with Disney because, man, their movies these days are so incredible. (laughs) Maybe they've evolved necessarily so. Yeah. Well, they definitely have. No maybe about it. You know, you, you don't have to go back many years to find some of the stuff that they put in their movies is definitely not appropriate or accepted these Mm. days. So it's good that we're all learning, I suppose. But, yeah, they've got a lot to answer for, as does whole mainstream media really in Mm. misconceptions and attitudes, culture. Mm. Anywho. (laughs) We won't go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Oh, let's go on to the broomstick because this is fascinating. It really is. So it turns out the imagery of a witch flying on a broomstick has less to do with the occult and way more to do with homemade hallucinogens. What? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Are you intrigued? Yeah, totally. (laughs) So there are a few levels to the whole broomstick thing. So most of them are very raunchy. (laughs) What? As women. (laughs) Go on. Cleaning house is so raunchy. (laughs) As women were accused of witchcraft in the Middle Ages, it was more often than not a way to punish a woman who was too outspoken, too independent, too sexual or too strange. So on one level, the broom was very symbolic of two things. It was a symbol of domesticity, Mm -hmm. which was uniquely the woman's domain and her rightful place. You know, she should be in the kitchen (laughs) sweeping those floors and keeping her mouth shut. Mm -hmm. But the broom is also undeniably phallic and witches were known (laughs) for their sexual promiscuity, even down to having sex with the devil himself. Well, yeah, absolutely. So, however, there is also another element to the whole flying broomstick mythology Medieval texts on witchcraft used to often mention witches' brews, which uh, they said that witches would smear this magical concoction onto their broomsticks and then fly off to their witchy coven meetings to do Satan's work. <laughs> now, this, is, this obviously didn't happen, but the ointment absolutely existed and it was used to get high in a very different way. Oh, wow. So people have been found um, in the past to have very creative ways throughout the ages to get high. In the Middle Ages, it was originally from bread, more specifically a type of fungus called ergo that could infect rye grain uh, that had gone bad. Okay. So in high concentrations, ergo will kill you, but at just the right level, it is a potent hallucinogen. Wow. Not that we're not condoning that. (laughs) Don't don't go getting on any ergo, guys. No. (laughs) So while accidental outbreaks of ergo have caused some odd events of mass hysteria over the years, some have even been blamed for it with the Salem witch trials. Okay. Others, um, other very resourceful people thought it'd be a great idea to cultivate its psychedelic properties for recreational use, as us humans have done. Human nature, (laughs) yeah. This along with other ingredients commonly associated with witches like nightshade and mandrake could be used to make a hallucinogenic witch's brew. <laughs> wow. So the Naughty users of witches. these drugs <laughs> at some point in time discovered that it was much easier to absorb the substance through their skin, which caused fewer negative side effects than just ingesting it. So what places would most easily absorb the drug? Armpits. And the genitals. Oh, my goodness. So sitting astride a broomstick could be a very convenient method for delivering the hallucinogenic brew. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't even know. I wish I could take a photo of your face right now. (laughs) Laura sitting here like gobsmacked. (laughs) 
taken riding the broomstick to a whole, a new, whole new level. Yeah. So a 15th century text by Jordan de Bergamo quotes, The vulgar believe and the witches confess that on certain days or nights they anoint a staff and ride on it to the appointed place or anoint themselves under the arms and in other hairy places. <laughs> I'm not nearly mature enough to be listening to this. (laughs) Another 14th century text had a similar story. In rifling the closet of the lady, they found a pipe of ointment, wherewith she greased a staff, upon which she ambled and galloped through thick and thin. (laughs) (laughs) So you may notice that neither of these quotes actually mentions flying in particular. That detail may have come from pure fantasy or it may have been the accused witch's recollections of their hallucinogenic trips, like actually yeah. tripping out, Yeah. during which this is very possible they may have believed they were flying. And it's also a common belief that witches stored their magic wands in the bristles of the broom. And in my research, I came across a story of a wealthy widow named Alice Keitler, who was accused of witchcraft in Ireland in 1324. One of the many accusations against her was that she had been spotted sweeping her neighbours' doorsteps in an attempt to sweep their good fortune away from their houses and into her own. (laughs) So, yeah, that is the witch's broom. That's incredible. I know. (laughs) What a little lesson there. Yeah. They uh, were certainly quite um, inventive in their application sites of their (laughs) witch's brew. Yeah. That's um, mind blown. Yeah. Mm. Application is uh, on point. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just, I was not expecting that. (laughs) Not even a little bit. (laughs) That's hilarious. I love it. Kind of like bloody good on yous. Bunch of medieval evil trippers. Yeah. Way better than just like shoving the ointment up your nose or something. (laughs) Not nearly as fun, is no. it? No. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's got me, um, that last point that you mentioned about this neighbour, the one that's Yeah, Alice. Alice. Yep. Right before you mentioned that, you mentioned that some uh, witches might have used the broom as a storage place to hide their wand. Yeah. So now it's just got me curious about wands. So maybe in future we'll have to cover that. We will. I think wands would be... An episode of its yeah. own because even the different timber that you use yeah. to and create so the wand holds different energy. Yep. And well, there we go. That's another yes, yep. another idea for we'll a, have to do an that. episode. Yeah, mm. yes, please. Yeah, but on to cauldrons now because this is huge. Yeah, it's another it's another thing. Definitely. So, how is the cauldron tied into witchcraft, Shannon? So the cauldron is a vessel defined as a large metal pot with a lid and handle used to cook over an open fire. So that's pretty basic. Yep. And the cauldron's history goes back to at least the last Bronze Age and they're used traditionally for cooking and brewing purposes. The word cauldron is derived from an old Norse and Germanic word meaning hot place. And the cauldron symbolises many things in witchcraft – It is perceived as being divinely feminine because it is viewed as a womb where things are brewed and created. And when placed into the cauldron, food is transformed into nourishing meals, 
herbal remedies are combined and brewed to create medicine and healing. And let's not forget about magical spells. So traditionally the cauldron would have been used for all of these purposes yeah. um, for a kitchen witch. Of course. And it's a symbol of true alchemy and transformation and also wisdom. So when you think about the recipes that would have been handed down over generations for both food and to nourish and to heal uh, and plant remedies, so they all would have been you know, created in the cauldron. And the four elements are also an integral part of every cauldron. So the pot itself is made from iron, which is from the earth, and the food and the herbs that are placed inside are grown from the earth. Water is usually an additive to most cooking or herbal tinctures. And the fire that's used to heat the cauldron and the steam and smoke that comes out of it into the air. So you can see how it is yeah. that true embodiment of all of the elements. Yeah, income. Incomple- I don't know that word. I can't even say that word. I know that word. Encompassing? That one. That one. Yeah, thank you. You saved me. <laughs> and the three legs on a cauldron represent yeah. the Celtic sacred number three, the triple goddess of the maiden, mother and crone, and the aspects of birth, life and death. So the next time you look at the humble cauldron, know that it's steeped in ancient history and... I think we need to have another episode to really delve into the mythology surrounding the cauldron too. And there's so many different goddesses that are associated with it. And yeah, yeah. all the different interpretations from around the world. And mm. It made me think of Outlander too when you were when you were reading about how they were cooking over it and whatnot. I remember. Oh God, what's the name of the main character? Claire. Yeah, How Claire. Could you Claire. I was just saying Claire and Jamie. Sassanac in my, in my <laughs> head. But yeah, how she would cook over her big one when they first um, settled in America and they just mm. bought, not bought, made their, their timber house and she'd obviously cook in there and there was always a stew going and the books are really good at, um, at writing about how visual it is too. Yeah. But I think the... The telly show did really well too. It did. Yeah. And actually I have a picture that just popped into my head. I will dig it out um, to put on our Instagram after this episode airs is we went to the Culloden Battlefield when we were in Scotland and they've got like a museum there and one of the artefacts is this little cauldron. Oh, truly? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that would have been used for cooking um, purposes. But You're saying little. How little? Oh, it was only like that. Yep. Quite small bowl size, yeah, a yeah, bowl size. like oh, yeah, yeah, enough mm. to do a meal for like two people, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, mm, yeah, because I picture like a cooking one. Yeah, you I think like a big, huge, massive like, one, like crock pots, yeah, size, yeah, to hang near the fire and whatnot. Yeah, so I'll have to dig that photo out because it was pretty amazing. It's like I don't know how old. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would be uber old. Mm. Okay, is it? Divine Tool of the Week time. It is. I wonder what it could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we would delve more into the Besom, so yep. the witch's broom, mm-hmm. from a magical perspective rather than the, the... historical one <laughs> and applying hallucinogens with it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm not, I'm not recovered from that actually, <laughs> to be quite fair. I was not expecting that. It was so uh... awesome. So the witch's broom, also known as a besom, is not a flying vehicle anymore, but it's still a very potent tool for ritual and magic. 
Although you could use any kind of broom, a traditional handcrafted besom is created with the intention to clear and uplift energy. So besoms are used for protection to ward off evil spirits and cleansing of ritual spaces. They also come in many different shapes, sizes and colours and many different materials depending on your magical needs. To cleanse your home, go from room to room in a Widdishan's direction to cast out. So here in the Southern Hemisphere, that's clockwise. In the Northern Hemisphere, that's anti-clockwise. Mm-hmm. And sweep away any negative energy, but make sure that the bristles don't touch the floor as you do this. Ooh. Yeah, so you're sweeping just yep. the energy. Yep. And if you want to protect your home against unwanted visitors, physical or spiritual, sprinkle some salt at the entrance of your home and then sweep it outside. You can also store the besom behind your front door with the bristles facing up so that it catches any negative energy that may try to cross the threshold. Oh, there you go. Hot tip. Yeah. You can also use it to open and close your ritual circles to cleanse your ritual space before and after casting circle. And you can also use it to prevent nightmares or to remove night terrors and sleep paralysis. So to do this, you only have to place the broom under your bed at night and it will protect you. Truly. Mm. There you go. Yeah. That's worth a shot. Uh, Definitely. And there are many superstitions still attached to the besom, which I found very interesting. So it's considered unlucky to sweep dust out of a door after nightfall. Okay. I don't know why. Oh, it's just just a thing. It's just a thing. It's a thing. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And never sweep on New Year's Day or you'll sweep away all the luck for the coming year. Oh, okay. That makes a bit more sense. It does. Yep. It does. And if a visitor is staying – oh, I love this one. If a visitor is overstaying their welcome, stand a broom up behind the door of the room in which they are being entertained. This person will soon grow uncomfortable and leave. Oh, wow. (laughs) Another one to try. Another one to try. (laughs) Well, my cousin once told me – she used to come and stay quite often. I, I love her dearly. Um, but I started vacuuming one day just because it was the weekend and maybe I was mopping or sweeping. I can't even remember, but I was cleaning the floors yep. in some method. And she looked to me, she was just amused, like she didn't actually <laughs> literally believe it. But she's like, do you know, um, I'm sure it was in Peru or South America, it's considered bad manners to clean the floor when you have guests over. Oh. Oh, wow. Probably because it it's sort of saying go. Yeah. <laughs> like go. I'm ready for you to leave. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, so interesting. I didn't realise that, but it makes sense in what you're saying. Yeah. Mm. Some energetic connection there for yeah. sure. Oh, totally. And to prevent the return of an undesirable overnight guest, sweep the room he or she has slept in as soon as possible after their departure. Oh, gosh. So like sweep as in literally sweep? Literally or sweep. sweep. Okay. Yeah. Sweep that shit out of there. <laughs> As soon as possible. (laughs) And if one sweeps under the feet of an unmarried person, he or she will never marry. (gasps) Wow. Mm. And if an unmarried woman steps over a broom that is lying on the floor, she will become a mother before she becomes a wife. Wow. (laughs) Well, I never. (laughs) And if someone sweeps over your feet, you're in danger of going to jail unless you immediately spit on the brush of the broom. <laughs> this is so crazy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then to bring rain within three days, dip a broom in a bucket of water into which dried fern has been crumbled and then hold the broom aloft, shaking the water out to simulate rainfall. <laughs> oh, my God. And then it will rain within three days. 
<laughs> then it becomes a rain stick. Yes. So that is the humble besom and all of the little um, folklore. Yeah. I love it. Oh, it's just incredible. <laughs> so you're going to see me out in my property now. Yep. Shaking a broom over my head with water. Yeah. Bring on the rain. With dried crumbled fern. Fern. Fern leaf. In the water. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Do you have a besom? I don't. Yeah. I don't. I'd really love one and I've been waiting, I think, to yeah. move into our new home. Yeah, I will definitely fair. get one. Uh, but I've been keeping my eye on broom, like besom makers yep. because there's some really beautiful ones out there. You can get mm. all different colours and different herbs we- woven into them and um, there's a woman I follow in America um, Oh, and her ones are absolutely beautiful. Um, did you share a post like months ago? I did. Yeah, I remember seeing one on oh. one of your uh, one of your places on They're the socials. Magic. Let me just um, like real natural, but also really uh, crafted as well. Yes, so beautiful. I'm just trying to find her so I can tell everyone what the name is. Um, Blue Cypress Botanicals, is that it? Yes, Blue Cypress Botanicals. So she makes um, like proper big besoms and also little altar ones. And they're just like works of art. They're absolutely beautiful. So get on there and have a look if you're curious as to what they look like. But Yeah. mm. Tracy bought me a little altar one a couple of years ago now. So Mm. nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Don't have a big one. I've got something that looks like a witch's broom at the front door. Now that you've read that, I'll have to put it on the other side of the door and around the other way. But it was just when we not long after we moved here, both my girls went on a walk with with their grandma, mm-hmm. and she came back riding on what looked like a broomstick. It's like an old <laughs> palm frond, but it does look like a natural broom. It was yeah. so funny. And she's the one that parked it there at the front door. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's so funny. Make sure the bristles are up. Yeah, and they're not. So that's what I mean. I'm going to have to go out there. and Yeah. It's really messy, though. It drops stuff everywhere. That's why it's outside. Well, anyone, any of our listeners, if you know of any Australian yep. besom makers, I would love to know. Yeah. yeah. Please yeah. get in touch and tag them on Insta or something. Yeah, yeah, please us. do. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because I need one. <laughs> <laughs> She's in the market. <laughs> well, thanks, Shan. Yet another episode of very uh, thought-provoking, <laughs> um, interesting and and sad at yeah. the start uh, history. That episode really had the lot. Well, my absolute pleasure and, yeah, I hope everyone gets something out of this and that when you see those witch costumes, you understand all of the history behind them now. Yeah. Makes more sense. Absolutely. Mm. Until next time. Yeah, we'll see you soon and take care. We love bringing Turns Out She's a Witch to you each week at no cost. So if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation researching, coordinating and producing the show ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making the show. As a thank you, you'll get access to some beautiful guided meditation recordings, a Patreon shout out on the podcast. There's monthly live Q&As, competitions and giveaways, as well as a special book and movie review bonus episodes. 
For more details, please click the link in the show notes. Of course, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com. As always, we welcome your questions. We'd love it if you left a review and shared the podcast with your family and friends and give us a follow over on Insta at turnsout underscore she's a witch. Until next time, thanks for listening and being a part of our podcast coven. 